0: Bike Karma Bicycle Stories podcast is brought to you with support from The Frame and Wheel, helping you turn your cycling items into cash without the hassle, and AD Bikes, the modern face of Ostra Daimler Bicycles. Become bike, become AD Bikes. Welcome to episode
1: 74.
0: Hello and welcome to episode 74 of the Bike Karma Bicycle and Cycling Stories podcast. I'm your host, Tom Brown. The mission of the show is to share stories from around the world about bicycles and people. It doesn't matter if you're a rider, a wrencher, a collector, or all of the above. It doesn't matter if you're a novice or an expert. If you've ever smiled about a bicycle, then you're in the right place. Have you ever found something alongside the trail or alongside the road while you're out cycling and it just is all you can think about for the rest of the journey? You wonder how that thing got there or how you were so lucky or unlucky to find it? Well, a longtime listener today shares her stories about finding things on a found bike. You have a billion gazillion podcasts to choose from, and I'm really thrilled about you coming along with me for a ride on mine. All the stories on this show are fair trade, organic, and non-GMO, made by humans and not artificial intelligence. Although that's probably something a computer would say. Guess you're going to have to trust me. Let's roll out. Not all the stories on the show are about fighting Nazis with a bicycle or finding a body in the woods. Sometimes it's just the listener who says to me, Hey, I noticed this cool thing that happened, or that I did. Sometimes they're not even sure it's a story. If you've ever thought that to yourself while listening to this show, it, it probably is a story. Now to be fair, This next guest is a longtime listener and I was having fun just talking with her. We have a lot in common about bikes and our views on bikes and finding stuff on the side of the road. I can get behind the guy that she was talking about who's since passed away who found bikes and he was really excited to find bikes, which feels more like rescuing bikes. You know, I found a Bianchi being discarded on the side of the road once. I picked treks out of the garbage. There's something that taps into a good feeling about rescuing bikes and finding things and being able to use them again. So this whole story is about finding things that spark joy on a bike that was itself found and brought back to life from being discarded.
2: So I love the idea of going out on a ride and it not just being the ride you Find a treasure or a trinket or something that sparks joy, whether it's um, little trinkets, uh, money, or another bicycle, or a card, a rubber duck, whatever it is, a little treasure or ride find that brings you joy in your day. Hi, I'm Teresa Rose. I'm go by Tess. I live in St. Augustine, Florida. I'm from New Jersey, and I'm a bicycle mechanic, a musician, and a cyclist, and an overall tinkerer, I would say.
1: (laughs) How did you start working on bikes?
2: by way of of riding, I've uh, been a commuter by bike for many years, and I just wanted to start fixing my own bike and now bikes. And so I just kind of tested the local bike shop enough to become shop rat. And over time, I became certified. I've I've gone and I've taken class with Jenny Cliston at the Appalachian Bicycle Institute. I went to UBI, got certified, and yeah. So that's kind of, kind of how now I kind of know what I'm doing. (laughs) I feel like it's tough. It's hard to make enough money doing it. I do a lot of odd jobs, a lot of pet sitting to kind of (laughs) supplement my income, but it is a really empowering thing. And I, I also, I teach a class at the shop like i have a reg night i do so i get to share that knowledge with people and that's sort of one that's my favorite thing i think about working in a shop is that i get i get to share that knowledge so it makes it worth it i work at a shop now called a1a Cycle Works on the beach in st augustine and for many years even before i worked there we had a customer in clayton a nice fellow I don't know a whole lot about him, just that he's sort of a a transient person, sometimes unhoused, but always working and always in high spirits and then always finding different bicycles. Occasionally, we would trade with him or the owner of the shop is a very nice gentleman would, if he could, offer him some money for for parts or trade him a a bike more suitable like a, a cruiser for like a mountain bike, that sort of thing. Clayton was sort of a prospector of bicycles. He would find them in a lot of different places, dumpsters, side of the road, mysterious origins. But he was always very excited to come in and and show us his newest find, or his new ride find, (laughs) I should say. At some point in the springtime, he came with an old, probably 90s Voodoo frame, a cool old bike. And I don't know where he found the Voodoo. My boss offered him, I think like $50, $60 for the bike and traded him something for it. It had a Mavic wheel set my boss wanted, but the bike ended up sitting in my workshop and I looked at it every day for a couple of weeks and Decided to put it in the sand and start to tinker, put aside the wheel set for my boss. Stripped the frame, started to picture different <laughs> builds with it and what I had in my garage or in my spare parts bin, how I could put the bike back together make it something different.
0: I'm going to break in here just for a second because this is a no drop podcast, which means we're not going to leave you behind. They're about to talk about bottom bracket, and a lot of you probably know what a bottom bracket is, and some of you don't. It is the thing that the cranks bolt onto. So, down where your feet are spinning, it's the thing in the middle that's holding the pedals onto the bike. They're notorious for squeaking. They're notorious for coming loose or being too tight or being so tight that you actually need to have other people help you to remove it from the bike if you go to replace it. So that's the bottom bracket that we're referring to.
2: I got to a point where the bottom bracket was seized and had to stop. My boss at a certain point was like, just throw the frame away. It's going to take too long. Because we work in a coastal area, we see this a lot, seized parts, and we kind of have to make a call if it's worth it or not, to continue working on a bike because it's a lot of hours to get a bottom bracket unstuck, I think even if it's not a very salty, corrosive area. But anyway, I let the bike sit, I didn't throw it out. (laughs) I soaked it in many different solvents over much time and continued to try, and finally I think about at least a month into trying my coworker, Jack, brought in a torch. <laughs> so we were gonna try heat. But at that exact moment, an old employee of the shop came in, Nate, and he saw what I was gonna do and was like, you absolutely should not do that on an aluminum frame, especially this particular one. And he had a go at it and he broke the bottom bracket free. How did he do that? Oh, <laughs> sheer force. <laughs> he just, um. We'll try a breaker bar. I had tried different versions of breaker bars and angles, and he just, he's now a a paramedic and a firefighter and just a very strong person. We talked about just hiring him for a day and putting aside all of our stuck parts (laughs) to get him to break them free. So it just happened at the exact right time he came in. And once the bottom bracket was free, I was kind of free to build up the bike however I saw fit. I decided to make it into kind of like a dirt touring frame. I had a 26 inch plus wheel in my garage with a like an old surly wheel rabbit hole rim. Put a 26 by 2.6 tire on it and uh, got a plus fork. It kind of looks like a mullet bike, but it's two 26 inch tires.
0: And for those of you who don't know what a mullet bike is, a mullet bike is just like a mullet haircut. It's short up front and long in the back, but in a casual sense, it's used to represent any type of bike where the tires don't really match. Like the whole wheel size could be different. So maybe you have a bigger wheel up front and a smaller wheel in back or a smaller wheel up front and a bigger wheel in back. So yeah, mullet kind of like the haircut.
1: What year of Voodoo is it?
2: It's still a mystery, but, but my guess would be uh, early 90s. It has that, that look to it. It had a rock shock fork on it that looks to be from that era. Um, and it's a rim brake. It's an aluminum frame. And I know Voodoo was one of the first companies to, to transition to aluminum. But the model ha- sticker on it has worn off completely. so I don't know the model of Voodoo, I suppose I I could reach out to the company, but I haven't done that yet, and I so, haven't looked at enough of their back catalog to connect it to which Voodoo it is.
1: How did you fit such wide tires into it? Because sometimes doing a inversion mm-hmm. like that, you can't. It's hard to fit those those mm-hmm. wide tires into those old seats.
2: So the rear tire is still like a twenty six by by like two point two five and it's the front tire I fit. I I changed out, I found a good price for a Surly ECR fork, a a big old barnacle fork. And so (laughs) the the fork wheel is disc brake. So I fitted that differently. So that's why it kind of has that mullet look even though they're both 26 inch wheels. I put the widest salsa cow chipper bars I get, the bars themselves are are longer than the top tube of the bike i'm i'm about five six so it's, it is a smaller frame um, so the,
1: the haters call those wheelbarrow bars right
2: yeah <laughs> yeah um but they are really comfortable and now when i go back to uh one of my road bikes to ride that has like a, a, i would say narrow now but a normal width bar i feel like kind of crunched i feel weird because it to, to, it opens your chest in a really great way, especially on a longer ride. To have something and and the drops are flared, it's just like really comfortable. And I'm not trying to go fast or like look a particular way on the bike, like maybe you're supposed to. It just to to be comfortable on a long ride. They're great. And they get a laugh out of some of my friends. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, the other bars don't feel uncomfortable, but these just Mm -hmm. feel like different. It's like sometimes you don't want to wear jeans. You want to wear shorts. Right. But some people don't get that.
2: Well, I I think I'm definitely like an N plus one bicycle owner. I think I have maybe 10. I have six, six working bikes and always a... couple projects or almost working bicycles. So I don't I wouldn't put the wide bar on every bike, but having one to yeah, like today is my wide bar bike day. Well this is my wide bar bike adventure. (laughs) Yeah. I guess I built the bike up and put it to the Ultimate test of a big endurance race called the Hurricane 300 that a gentleman, Carlos, single-track samurai, puts on every year. Um, I didn't actually race the course that's happening next month, the official race, but I got the route and did most of the ride on the bike. Well, it's a 365-mile route with single-track, gravel, dirt, actual elevation which is surprising for some people when you hear Florida and elevation. The whole ride has about I think 6,000 feet of elevation which is a lot for for us Floridians. So I took three days and I guess 15 hours to do the route with my friends. The ride starts at Shangri-La Campground and it's single track in Santos and I like to say I'm a reformed roadie, so I'm not really great at single track riding, especially with a bike fully loaded for camping. It's very difficult. It's the most challenging ride I've ever done, but also the most beautiful. There's a lot of, at the time of year, it's not super hot in Florida, so you can really like breathe in fresh air, sometimes swampy air, but still fresh. This particular part at Ocala National Forest There's a lot of sugar sand, a lot of overgrown vegetation. It kind of looks like, to me, I always feel like it's like this prehistoric look. Like there's huge elephant leaves. There's lots of alligators. So there's, to me, dinosaurs. (laughs) It it does look like a dinosaur is just going to come out of the brush or the the forest. I wish my friend Houston, who did the ride with me, could could chime in now because he knows a lot about Plants, especially Florida plants, and could, could name everything we saw, I'm sure. <laughs> the bike made it to the end, just about, and, but it, I did actually uh, blow out the new bottom bracket. <laughs> it's funny enough. So my only mechanical was that uh, I'll have to replace my new square paper bottom bracket. I mean, it didn't give out, but you can tell there, there was play and it was, you know, clicking on every pedal stroke. Um, and it was just after this section, uh, it's called the Challenge Trail, and it is such an overgrown trail. The only way I knew for sure I was going the right way is that my, my GPS was working. It's just overgrown with palm fronds. There's like wooden bridges over water that the bridge is itself broken. And that was the last technical trail we did. And we took the road the rest of the way back, the 50, last 50 miles instead of the other, other trails. Yeah, the bottom bracket made it through to the, the most important parts. It gave out right at the end, after 300 miles. I wish I knew him better because Clayton, he has since passed away. But um, I just knew that he was always excited (laughs) when he would come and be like, look at this bike I found. And they were always in like different levels of disrepair, but he would buy like whatever he needed to get it running again. And then he would trade it for something else. And I just love that idea of bartering, (laughs) a bartering system of bicycles, I suppose. The ride is, I'm not sure how much the ride has to do with Clayton as much as just continuing to use a bike that he traded to us. It was important to me to not like throw the bike out and to do something with it and to think like this bike didn't end up in the landfill and when I ride it I think of this customer who just continued to ride and try to fix things even though he didn't seem to have the best of luck in in life or maybe the best lot in life he still was always happy to come into the shop and talk bikes and show us what he had the the different ride he had for the day or week well yeah i guess sometimes the bikes you ride remind you of the people you know and i do really love that Clayton would find bikes but I do love to to find things while I'm riding like on my commute or on the hurricane route and I think I'm realizing now as I'm talking to you that I love this bike and having known Clayton because he would find bikes and I love to find things on the bike so I wonder if that's part of why now I'm so attached to this this frame and I will continue to, to find ride finds. I guess that people call them different things like artifacts or treasures or finds. When you're riding and you see something, I have started calling them ride finds, especially because there's an, an Instagram for it where you can, you can post your ride finds, which, which makes it more exciting, like treasure finding.
1: So I have on my mantle right now a number 10 cue ball uh-huh. that I found in the same spot next to a clown nose and the broken bottle of whiskey on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere.
2: You found, is it a 10?
1: Number 10 billiard ball. Yeah. I and have a
2: 13 I just found. <laughs> How funny.
1: I can't stop thinking of somebody with a clown nose and a number yeah. 10 billiard ball. At this, in the middle of nowhere, like in the middle of this <laughs> open agriculture land, just being like, ah, uh, and then throwing it and leaving it all behind and storming off. <laughs> Starting uh, and, new. <laughs> and, and, and this was you know, years ago, and I still got yeah. the, the number 10 ball. I don't yeah. have the clown nose. I don't have the broken bottle, but I have the number 10 billiard ball on my mantelpiece piece right now.
2: Yeah. That's so special, because you think of that when you see it.
1: Yeah, and so what have have you found?
2: Okay. Um, Well, I have the 13 billiard I just recently found. Went through a phase where I was finding a lot of cards, playing cards, Pokemon cards, tarot cards, a shovel head, a couple of plastic shovels that my my partner Jeremy has coaxed me into throwing out, a little purse with a doggy face on it, money. Biggest bill I found was $20. I found like a little like tiki man. Um, Did you
1: put that one back? Was that one cursed? Like I done.
2: didn't, but I I didn't. <laughs> I posted it online, and, and everyone was like, "That's cursed!" A couple of people were like, "Don't don't do that." And unfortunately, I ran into my friend Rich, and I gave it to his son. So I I think I may have passed the curse. <laughs> I didn't I didn't know until after, but.
1: I'm sorry. It all depends on how much you believe in Brady Bunch episodes, whether or not the curse is Well, real.
2: I only found out about the Brady Bunch episode after the fact. So maybe that saves, that cancels the curse.
1: Okay, that's good. I hope.
2: <laughs> I guess about two years ago, I, I switched shops. I started working at a shop that's on the beach. And along my commute, I would find lots of different things, like I've said, but one day I saw a little yellow thing. Very quickly, I I went by, I didn't stop, and it registered after that I think it it, it was a, a rubber duck. I thought, that's really strange. I must have imagined that. I'm still waking up only on my first cup of coffee. But the next day, I did my same route again. And this happens sometimes where the, the same thing will be in the road the next day. For, I guess, fortunately for me, uh, no one else has, has picked my treasure. But the little yellow duck was there. And it was a small, exactly like you'd think, a rubber ducky that you would put in the bathtub. I don't know what, what else people do rubber ducks with. I've since learned that. Um, Jeep owners collect them and as a sign of affection to another Jeep owner or a nod of like, hey, you have a cool Jeep. They put them on the door handle. And if you see uh, some Jeeps just have many different rubber ducks in the town where I live, I think there's a high concentration of Jeep owners because I've since, I guess in the last two years, found about 41 ducks from different sizes there's there's actually three sizes no no no, four there's a very small smaller like penny size duck then one size up i'd say the size of a quarter then your standard duck that i I think most people can imagine like the size you would think when you think of a rubber duck (laughs) and then one double that size and i found all different sizes all different colors styles a unicorn duck Around Halloween time, I found a witch duck. I have bikini duck, cowboy duck, uh, franken duck, every color of the rainbow duck. And I have them all, I collect them now, and they're all on display in my workbench. at work, so when I come in to work at the shop every day, I look at my duck collection amidst my other treasures that, I, that I've that i collected. The ducks definitely are the star of the ride Find show in my life. Do I ever find myself motivated to go out riding because I might find a duck? I look forward to my ride finds on days where I feel tired or, or bummed out. And I kind of know somewhere in the back of my head, a ride will make me feel better, will like lift my spirit. I think I do think I might find something like it's a little treasure hunt. I love the idea. Like, I especially love errands rides where you have multiple stops to find something and thinking about a ride find as one of those stops makes it I think more desirable in my brain like okay I might find something cool today. Uh, Maybe a duck. When I'm on my commute, I know my chances are higher of finding a duck so maybe that motivates me more to get to work (laughs) because that's the route I know where I found the most most things. Yeah. So sure, I think I do. Not not in a direct way, but it is a thought I have on, on especially on the commute.
1: Yeah, I mean, I do the story about people climbing a mountain mm-hmm. on a bike for a cookie at the top, <laughs> you know. So, yeah. Going out and riding and finding a duck on the side of the road is is just as fun it seems.
2: Yeah. It it really It really does bring me a lot of joy and through that another one of my friends was like you should check out this Instagram account where they people post their ride finds like I found like other maybe weirdos like me that like get very excited for for finding little trinkets on the side of the road and and that does make something I already love riding bikes a a little more exciting because it's like you're also you know a little kid like finding trinkets and treasures. (laughs) a joyful thing. I guess I'm not sure I don't know how much of the story is about Clayton or the bike or finding things. Or if there even is a story in there, but I thoroughly enjoyed talking about it. Despite um, I feel a little silly talking for this long about a bike thing, but I really appreciate
1: it's it. It's about it's about finding bikes,
2: yeah, and
1: then using a found bike to find other things.
2: And I did find I did find two rubber ducks on the Hurricane route.
1: So if people want to go and see some of your rubber ducky finds and Mm -hmm. find out more about some of the things you're doing down there in Florida, where would they go?
2: Yeah, I work at a shop. It's called A1A Cycle Works in St. Augustine, Florida. That's uh, where you can find me most of the time and see all of my ducks and ride finds on display at uh, all my workbench and surrounding. And my Instagram handle is... Kerasida underscore Crumb. I post the schedule of events for the shop. Some of it a couple months in advance. Some of it monthly. Once a month, I do a wrench night, and it's for different skill levels. So there's like a basic flat tire clinic. There's one that's a little more involved. We're gonna try like an open wrench night. I usually make a zine. So you have a token to take with you. If you ride your bike to the shop and take it, it's like uh, a ride find. <laughs> Maybe that's the stretch. But yeah.
1: Down in St. Augustine. Mm-hmm. See, that's where the fort is, right?
2: The fort, yeah.
1: I remember laying on the wall of the fort and having a very sanguine moment, whatever mm-hmm. it is. That's the kind of moment I was having with my wife one time. We went down there to visit. Her father lives in the villages, which is disturbing. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we got away for the day, and we and we went to Saint Augustine, and uh, that was uh, the uh, ghost walk and mm-hmm. the fort, and uh, there was a bike shop right before a bridge. Is that you guys? For a bridge or oh, a play? no Oh,
2: that was Jimmy Dean's old shop. That shop is was called Island bikes and we actually still have some of his inventory but he he closed um
1: where are you guys at
2: further south you'd have to go from there so that was bridge alliance that shop just over you have to go closer to 206 so it's probably like seven or eight miles south is the shop where i work okay but i live pretty close to where that shop you know exactly Mm -hmm. what you're talking about there's a british pub there now Or now they're just a pub.
1: (laughs) Well, if you have to get rid of a bike shop, that's a good thing to do with it. Right. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you very much.
2: Thank you so much. I love your podcast.
1: Thank you.
0: Now time to take a brief break and give our mid-roll gratitudes. Thanks to Mitch Gill, who's going to be at the Ann Arbor Film Festival, which is gonna have a bike film there on March 9th. If you find him, he says he's gonna bring some Bike Karma stickers. Thanks to all the folks who have asked for stickers, like fellow teacher Gary, Anyone who would like free stickers, if you promise to place them responsibly, like not on a police car or on someone's forehead, you promise not to sticker bomb your neighbor's Harley, just gently letting people know about the show by putting a sticker somewhere where there's probably already stickers. If you agree to that do no harm attitude, just DM me on any of the social media or email me at bikekarmaguy@gmail.com. at gmail.com. I can send you free stickers from the show worldwide. And if you have a bike shop and you'd be willing to put them out for your customers, I can send you more. Same goes with clubs and other bike orgs. While I am grateful for anyone who's listening, thank you. I'm especially grateful for anybody who shares on social media, follows or leaves a nice review somewhere. That is a no cost way of just helping to organically spread the word about the show. Thank you. Following anywhere definitely helps. But a special shout out to Dostrom, David Decker, Kidu Edie and Jimmy for following on Podbean. That's where we're hosted and having more followers there really does help us to rise in the search results. Thank you. I have a small and wonderful group of folks on Patreon who help me to pay for the costs associated with the show. For as little as a dollar a month, you could help defray the costs that I pay out of pocket for doing the show. I'm not looking to make money off of this. At this point, just hoping to break even with expenses. So thank you to my Patreons. If you'd like to be one of them, just go to Patreon and search up Bike Karma. Big shout out to the folks at the Philadelphia Bicycle Expo, I am gonna get down there someday. It is always a tricky time of year for a teacher and for some reason for me especially. But every time I miss it, my sense of urgency to attend increases. If you're lucky enough to be able to go, consider sharing a story on the show. Big shout out to the folks who are participating. I'm trying to start up the Connecticut Not-For-Profit Bicycle Network, make it a little easier for all the bicycle co-ops and community bicycle shops and other organizations that help to get people on bikes. Big thanks, I think, to Jacob down at BC Co for showing me a vintage mountain bike that's really sweet that I am now going to show off at the Weathersfield Bicycle Show and Swap Meet in June, second Sunday in June. And a big thanks to all the folks whose stories are waiting in the queue to be edited and produced. Thanks for your patience. Now, if you let yourself either on purpose or by accident fall into the rabbit hole of on ennui and doom on social media, perhaps a little bit of spring cleaning or a little bit of spring treat yourself might help you to pull yourself out of that and feel like you're doing something positive. Fred Thomas at the Frame and Wheel can help you sell your used bicycles, gear, equipment, parts, takeoffs, any quality bicycle related item and get it back to somebody who it's going to spark joy for. You never know, somebody might be pining for that used frame that's just been hanging in your garage for two years. The wheels say that you took off to upgrade might actually be someone else's upgrade, and they're just waiting for you to put it out there so they can get it. So contact Fred at The Frame and Wheel to get more time, space, and cash. He can either cut you a check when things are sold, donate things to your favorite charity, or apply the proceeds towards the purchase of a new bike for yourself. His other business, AD Bikes, takes the vintage styling and logos from AD bikes back in the day and brings them into the 21st century. Want a carbon bike to slay at the races? He can build that up. Want a steel gravel bike with a frame that's handmade in the United States? He can do. Fred is taking the expression, "have it your way to the extreme. His two complementary businesses of the frame and wheel and AD bikes help to create a loop that's great for the environment. Selling used and new parts, facilitating upgrades and customization, Fred is intentionally trying to make a business model that's good for the environment and good feeling for the consumer. So consider checking him out at the Frame The Wheel and AD Bikes. And if you talk to him, give him a thanks for helping to support the show. Now back to it. Get through the winter. I do watch a lot of reality TV. I mostly like shows like American Pickers and Downey's Dickering. There's this one about the garage way up north in Newfoundland or Labrador called Last Stop Garage. They're always fixing stuff with no parts. One expression that I hear a lot on these shows is, "I never back down from a challenge," and I take it in. And sometimes it just I ignore it, and then sometimes it hits me. You never back down from a challenge like never and i started thinking about my personal life i back down from challenges all the time i mean what if it's a dumb challenge what if somebody's trying to get you to do a reverse hitler mustache where you shave out the middle and you leave the ends and then i think what what's the small print in these people's way of living it can't just be like a single absolute statement like that there's got to be some like fine print there that it, for the nuances But they look at it like it's it's like a commandment in their lives it's such a i never back down from a challenge i challenge you to give me 20 dollars and never speak of it again how's that are you gonna back away from that challenge unfortunately my plan of attack, my lifestyle, my ethos sometimes keeps me in the house and off the bike. After a long day with the best intentions, I end up just flopping down in my bed for a couple seconds, having a five-minute siesta, I'll say, before I go out for a ride, before the daylight disappears, and it ends up turning into a two-hour nap. And I pay the price for it. I should be bicycling more per week, even in the winter, than I do. I'm not an indoor cyclist. I tried it it doesn't work for me i've got my snow bike i've got a bike that can go on snow and ice i've got all the fancy gear i just need to stand up and do that stuff and get up off my butt and get out there more i've got night lights so even when the sun goes down i should be able to ride around so snow biking this year, I just push myself to get out, even if I'm not gonna do 10 miles, even if I'm only gonna do a short ride, even if I get all together and get myself outside and I go for a two mile ride with my dog through ungroomed fields. I chalk all those little rides up as wins. But back to the challenges. Challenges are what happen when you ride with people. Some of the challenges are good and you should step up to them. I'm always surprised at how much more consistent pace I go when I'm in a group ride as opposed to going by myself. Sometimes it's a challenge to go a little bit farther than you wanted to. Sometimes it's a challenge to go a different route that you might not have been comfortable going down yourself. Now, if everybody knows each other and you have a relationship, there's sort of this social contract you got with the other people in the riding group, but if you go with a riding group that's got some people you don't know so well in it, there are definitely some challenges you should back away from being challenged to do stuff that's way above your skill level, like way above, not just pushing yourself to grow a little bit here and there, but I'll bet you can't go down that incline backwards. i challenge you to ride that old pipe to the other side of the river, but you can't do a track stand on that abandoned car surrounded by sharp, rusty metal and broken glass. You get my point. Maybe some of those are challenges that you should back away from. So I guess what I'm saying is having a hard, fast rule that I never, which is so absolute, I never back away from a challenge. Must be a very hard path to ride. And that's what I wanna hear from you. Have you ever had a challenge that sticks out as one with the bicycle that you have backed away from? It could be riding. It could be restoring a bike that was just way over your head and you're like, I'm backing away from this deal. Or conversely, have you had a challenge that you tried and it went well or it didn't go well? If so, you can leave that story on the Bike Karma Studio line. So the number is 860-740-2813. There's kind of a long message there. You can just wade through it. But then leave your full name, where you're from, say so I have permission to use your voice and story on the show, and then tell it. If it's a short story, I'll clean it up, edit it, put some music in the background, and people will get to hear it around the world. I mean, not necessarily Oprah or Greg LeMond, but lots of people do listen to the show, and they're like us. They like bicycle stories. If it's a longer story, and you want me to help guide you through it, you can email me at bikekarmaguy at gmail.com. That's bikekarmaguy at gmail.com. Or DM me on any of the social media that I'm on so you knew this was coming. Here it comes. I challenge you to think of a story that you'd be willing to share on the show. Here we go. So all those people who don't back away from a challenge, boom, just gotcha. Thank you so much for listening. Now back to the
3: show. I
0: don't want to lose a single listener because they didn't check their bike before a ride. So our on-running PSA public service announcement on the Bike Karma Bicycle Stories podcast is the ABC Quick Check. When one of the greatest mechanics in the world wants to do the ABC Quick Check but then changes the letter from ABC to M, you just go ahead and let them.
3: Hello, Calvin Jones here. I want to do a check with you that some people call the ABC. Okay, can I change this up a little bit? Forget the ABC. Think of the letter M. Let's start at the bottom, right M. That's your front wheel. Is that skewer tight? Come up the line. The M goes up to the handlebars between your tire. Give it a squeeze as they're airing it. The M at the top there. Now we're at the bars. That's the peak there. Squeeze the brakes. Wiggle the bars. That's good. The M goes Down to the bottom bracket, your cranks. Is your chain oiled, right? Is your crank tight? Is that good? The chain's all lubed. Where does the M go? Up again. We're drawing the letter M to the saddle. Wiggle it. Is it tight? Is it straight? That's great. The M finishes by going down to the rear hub. Is that skewer tight? Oh, hey, you passed the tire. Did you squeeze it? That's your M. From the hub up then down, then up, and then down. That is going to save you. Check each time. Have a fun ride with Bike Karma. Calvin Jones out.
0: Thanks again for coming along with me on a ride at another episode of the Bike Karma Bicycle and Cycling Stories podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. A big thank you to Keller Glass and his former band Mobjack for our awesome opening and closing themes. Go check out and see what he's up to these days at Keller Glass Music. All the rest of the music is royalty and attribution free, but we also want to thank those musicians for helping to bring life to the stories. Apart from the music, the Bike Karma Bicycle and Cycling Stories podcast is the intellectual property of Thomas Brown. All copyrights, trademarks, the logos, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, all those rights are asserted and reserved. If you want to contact me, you have a story idea, or maybe some feedback, or product, or a business that might be compatible with the show, you can reach out at bikekarmaguy at gmail.com. That's bikekarmaguy at gmail.com. You can also contact me on just about any social media. I'm on all the social media that I could find. And if you're having a hard time finding me on Instagram or Strava or Pokemon Go, all of that information and a bunch of behind-the-scenes stuff can be found at BikeKarmaPodcast.com. BikeKarmaPodcast.com. If this was your first time listening to the show, try out our back catalog. We've got all kinds of no-drop stories in our back catalog from everything from BMX to touring bikes, to mountain biking, fat biking, collectible bikes, being attacked by different animals. Yes, there's different stories about being attacked by different animals in different episodes. One is an elephant, the other is magpies. Oh, and then there was that guy who got taken out by a kangaroo, but that wasn't intentional. Anyway, if you're out riding, I hope you only have positive experiences with the wildlife and every other kind of life out there. Anyway, till next time, keep it wheel.